0: Future cast, a darkly tinted look, the magical, the mysterious, and the macabre. We're listening to Creature Cast, a darkly tinted look at the magical, the mysterious, the macabre, and the nighttime stars TV, where uh, we are, I'm here once again joined by my co-host Becky. Becky, say hi to everyone.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: Hey, everyone. How was your holidays?
1: It was good, actually. I spent it in a very warm part of the country, I spent it in Florida with my parents, and it came back to like this terrible cold weather, so I'm pretty pissed about that now.
0: Yeah, I um, I actually went. By the time I had left for the holidays, it was still like unseasonably warm here, uh, like fifties and sixties and shit. And then I go to Utah where it's actually cold as ice. And uh, then I come back and it's like I brought the chill with me. So winter, winter, winter has come. You know, post your damn Game of Thrones meme. But the other thing that I did um, over the holidays is that having a lot of downtime uh, and having my par- access to my parents' cable plan. Uh, I discovered that they had the Stars Channel and they had this little show that I've been hearing about a lot on the internet called
1: Ash versus Evil
0: Dead Ash versus Evil Dead and I was uh, like I was really taken a, like I was stunned by it like initially you know I'd been hearing a lot about it but you know I I've, I've, I've always been sort of leery about a creator coming back to their work after like 20 30 years just because you know I grew up during the Lucas era and that sort of burned me. But um, I was really taken in by the show. I was, I was, I think it captured, like, it captured and built upon the manic energy of the original without fe- feeling sort of like glassy or, 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 or glossy and like overproduced or anything like that. And I, I wanted to talk about it. And the only other person I know that watched this show uh, was you, Becky. So, yeah.
1: I'm actually astonished that I'm the only other person you know that watched it um, because it was it's such a cultural touchstone. And I would imagine that more people would uh, watch it and want to talk about it.
0: I think part of the problem is that the stars network isn't exactly the most like accessible of the case. Like people have the, the HBO app um, you know, people, like, they're viewing parties for stuff, but Stars has always been sort of, like, the outlier, where you, you have to have that premium channel subscription, and their, sh- their, their episodes aren't available on, like, YouTube or anything.
1: Someone told me that you can buy a Star subscription through your Amazon Prime account and do it on Amazon Video, and I don't know if that's actually true, but someone told me you could do that, so your motive may vary.
0: Okay, I did not know that, and I might have to invest in that now, because I can't go flying home next time the season, uh, next time the season starts up, but, um... I guess the other thing too is that I sort of um like like it, it, the Evil Dead films are sort of like like I obviously I, I had my gore hound phase like when you're a horror fan oh that's actually one thing I want to ask like I've never known you to be, like, a real big horror person, especially this kind of horror, which is sort of like – like, Evil Dead, in a lot of ways, it's the heavy metal horror of of the genre. Like, okay, if you go to – so I, I – you know, I'm kind of – I've always kind of said this about myself. I'm this, like, a feet horror fan where it's like, oh, my, it's not a ghost howling in the moors. Like, whatever, like – like it's it's this sort of like when you go to like Fangoria weekend of Horrors or Gore Zone or any of these like like uh um horrorhound weekend things like the the kind of the main fans of horror, these sort of like heavy metal dudes they like it like like really aggressive and really bloodier, and it's like it's like more they're more into the sort of like like action films with a lot of gore kind of things they're just like, yeah, that's awesome like. Like bigger, broader things. I was—I guess that's the first question I want to ask—is like this sort of thing. I, I would never have picked you for this kind of horror fan. Like, what what drew you? In? Is this an exception for your taste, or is it sort of like like something that you made? Like, or are you just like there's something that you dig about this that's just sort of really. Um, for you?
1: it is kind of an exception. Uh, I watched it when I was very young, far too young to be watching this sort of movie because my dad really liked it. Um, and it was something that I would watch with my dad and. What I like about it is the camp aspect and like how funny it is. Cause I think um finding the funny aspects of horror is is a really great um I really like that about horror. When it can be funny and poke fun at itself. Um, I don't generally like gore. Like I'm not a fan of the Saw movies at all. But this kind of gore where it's so stylized and it's it's a real art form, I find that appealing. Um and I like horror, you know. For the most part, I, I enjoy it, but Evil Dead is—it does mean something really special to me because it's something I grew up with, and Army of Darkness is up there among my favorite movies because uh, it's my dad, and my brother's favorite movie as well. Poor mom, she she suffered <laughs> through a lot for us.
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, I you know I kind of it was one of those things that you watched as a kid. Like I think that a lot of. Like, a lot of mainstream horror fandom has root in the 80s with the sort of, like, franchise horror aesthetic, like Jason and Freddy and Pinhead and all them. They're your sort of pro wrestler characters that you click with. Um, Evil Dead is is sort of interesting in that because, like, that was the – you know, when I was a kid – here we go, getting the cane out – you know, there wasn't like you didn't have the internet in the same way. You didn't have sort of like fan culture in the same way, where you know I could turn on Tumblr and there's like a gajillion gifs of anything that I wanted anytime. Like the fandom was built built around like dog-eared copies of Fangoria and trips to the video store. And you know, in, in that time, the Evil Dead movie was always this sort of like, oh man, this is the most Gonzo thing you could get. Short of those God, like those Cannibal Holocaust films or the Jairo Argento things, were just like like gruesome for the sake of like just whatever like those things but like you know Evil Dead was this sort of like min it was a genuine midnight movie in that it was so outrageous and so over the top that you you know you you would like pass it around like like uh, a mixtape that your friend made of like scabby punk rock bands that all sounded great you know what I mean
1: yeah that's actually really interesting because it's uh it's such like a um, a real emblematic, like feel of horrors. Like you think, oh, Evil Dead. Yeah, that's a real, real horror movie. And I read an interview actually uh, with Sam Raimi saying that before he made Evil Dead, he was not a horror movie fan at all. He like really didn't like them. But he studied horror movies. Uh, he studied them and he found like the use of tension and the use of pacing. And so he used like what he saw in other horror movies to make one that like the tension and the pacing and the music and like the camera angles made it a really fun uh, fun thing to watch for the viewer, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think that the other interesting thing about it is that, like, people, you know, I think Evil Dead is one of those movies, like, Clerks or whatever, that just gave, like, everyone, a, you know, just get a camera in your hand and just, like, go to it with a lot of energy and enthusiasm because, like, that's the other thing, too, is, like, a lot of horror, you know, classic horror, um, and this is me kind of reversing my whole effete, ooh, A lot of classic horror is very staged and sedate, you know, all the way from like Todd Browning's Dracula being like just a filmed play with a fixed camera, to, like, you know, stuff like Don't Look Now, which is very kind of, like, 1970s stylized but still sort of distant and cold. The camera is the monster in The Evil Dead. Like, a lot of the time, the camera is chasing the characters with this, like, amazing howling wind and these impossible angles and the sort of, like, like, the camera smashes down doors in a way that's just really just this amazing thing to watch. And I think that's the thing is that, like, it, it would not make sense for this movie to be sedate because it's so energetically the opposite. Like, it doesn't make sense for it to... Even, you know, you mentioned the Saw Gore thing. Like, that's Gore with no sense of humor. That's Gore with, like, a very, like, practical sense of just tearing people apart by inches, which, you know, there I'm sure someone can make a compelling argument that, that that kind of... The trend it represents has redeeming qualities to it. And there there are certain, slat, like, torture porn films that I can defend, but generally the trend, I think, is was sort of, like... What I take away from more than anything else is how joyless they were, and how humorless they were, and how just sort of clinical that they were. The Evil Dead is none of those things. It is, it is. You know, someone pointed out that it's a Bugs Bunny cartoon, like it's a bloody Bugs Bunny cartoon from the, uh, you know, the smashing paper plates, the severed hand, the like corpse dancing in the woods. Um, It's just a, it's this, it's this cartoon thing. And I think that how did you feel the show captured that? Like, did you, did you like that that tone? I think more. I
1: was amazed at how well the show got the the feeling of the Evil Dead movies so well. Um, because one thing that you remember with Evil Dead is the gore and like the cornstarch blood just splattering everywhere. Um, and one thing that when they announced they were going to do Ash versus Evil Dead is uh, people said, oh, are they going to just use CGI for all the, the Deadites and everything like that. And um, thinking back on it, the first half of the season had more CGI than I would have wanted in an Evil Dead movie. Uh, media presentation uh, be it movie or TV show there's like a demon that is like super CGI and it's kind of (laughs) off-putting but in the back half of the season they really get back to like the nuts and bolts of the Evil Dead franchise which is like this heavy like very fake looking blood and it goes everywhere (laughs) Um, there's like In the, I think the last episode, that poor blonde hiker is like being fucked up by the house, like she pokes an eyeball and it sprays eyeball goo on her, and like uh, I think when, oh, spoiler alert, uh, Amanda dies. Oh,
0: that I should I should point that out too. Uh, You know, we're we're not really a criticism show. Like, oh. I wonder if I should like watch e- Ash vs. Evil Dead. Let's listen to this rando podcast out of New York like, and what they think about it. Uh, we assume you guys have experienced this sto- show or watched it, or you're not going to be really worried about spoilers. But yeah, spoiler big time. But anyway, the eyeball and the gore and the money. Oh
1: yeah, so Ash like sticks the chainsaw on Amanda's stomach and like blood goes literally everywhere and you just see a spray of blood go up this poor girl's face. And so that is really fun. And it's this um, really like practical effects gore and um things like that that make it that really capture the tone of evil dead and also um the the canted angles and the the point of view camera shots which you do see a lot in it um i think there's a part in one of the later episodes where the camera uh it's a point of view shot and it's pushing ash down the stairs which is a callback to one i think evil dead Two, and he's being pushed through the forest Mm-hmm. Not that I remember this series very well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, that's sort of, uh, you know, you bring up something that I kind of want to run by you is... Um... Uh, there's a lot of people out there that when you say gore, it's an... Because in- I think you nailed the appeal of it. It's so over-the-top. It's so broad, and it's so cartoony. But when you tell people, like, oh, this is a gory film, it's going to be an instant turnoff for a lot of people. And for a lot of people, it's like, they wouldn't understand why would that... You know, I don't want... I don't slow down... Like, I personally don't slow down to der- the gocket like, at car wrecks or anything like that. But what's the appeal about, like, when you say, oh, this is a good, gory, like, sunny, fun horror film? like Like... Sell the concept of Gora's entertainment. Like, my theory on it is sort of, um, I, I think that it's aud- aud- audacious, right? Like, I always said that, like, hor- humor, because we talk about this as a funny horror film. And aside from being kind of self referential and self aware, which a lot of really good horror movies are from Scream Cabin in the Woods on downward, um, uh, you know horror often like there like there's i always think that humor has two ways there's like the kind of the the droll wit like the clever turn of phrase and whatever and there's the sort of audacity humor where it's like i can't believe they did that i can't believe they went there and i think that gore sort of triggers like i can't believe it's this it's so over the top it's so like broad and kind of campy that it's sort of like funny because like it's not an accurate depiction of a human being like when people get killed in these movies they get mega killed they get like super duper human beings don't have that kind of blood no nor is it at that level of pressure because it'll spray out for miles but like what do you think is the like how would you explain gore as a selling point to someone who's watching this film
1: that's a really good question uh i think for me it's because like gore just for gore's sake isn't fun i don't want to see someone just like get their arm chopped off and it doesn't like do anything it's not fun. Here, Ash literally has a chainsaw for a hand, and he uses that chainsaw to, like, fuck some deadites up. And so you see the the blood is, like, um, it's coming from, like, this deep, like, this deep place within you. Like, yeah, if I had a chainsaw in a zombie <laughs> apocalypse, you can be sure that I would, like, use it just like Ash does. And so seeing it is, like, a... Um, a visual representation of like what you would want to do in that situation you would want to be that same kind of hero you want want to have your boomstick and your shotgun hand and you would want to like use it in a way that you know you feel cool
0: yeah yeah I think you know and like I think that a lot of the genre in general is about exaggeration like when people fall in love in a romance film it's very operatic and big and destined and meant to be because I think that's what love feels like on a sort of like on that like Innocent, adolescent, childish level that, like, I think storytelling lives in, and genre storytelling lives in. You know, martial arts films turn a uh, fistfight into a ballet dance. You know, a kind of like an answer, a call and response and an answer thing. And I think gore and horror sort of like it has that sort of grandiosity to it. Because you're right. Like, when you want to, when you when you're Ash, you want to be like your blue shirt is covered in red by the end of it. You know, when these when um, Kelly shred somebody in the uh, in the meat cutter in the diner massacre. You know, she is soaked and, like, laughing and, like, take that, son of a bitch, I'm going to make you all pay for this. Um, but kind of, I think that's the other thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit is, um, you know, that there's a legacy behind this film. And we touched a little bit out it, we both, like... Uh, 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 watched Evil Dead films Army of Darkness and things like that And you pointed out something when I was talking to you about it before the show Where I was really wondering Why the movie only focused on Because like First off Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2 Aren't like Evil Dead 2 is canon Evil Dead 1 is sort of like pre- like it's Evil Dead 2 is a remake of Evil Dead 1 Rather than a proper sequel And uh, you know From there Ash goes on this time traveling Journey to To uh, like, fake, like, like medieval time-style classic, like, culture. And you said that the, um, that the reason that they, the TV show sort of ignores Army of Darkness is because they didn't have the rights for it. What did you think about that excision? Because I really noticed it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's such a weird situation. So, uh, what happened is all the different Evil Dead movies, um, the rights are owned by different studios, and Universal owns the rights to Army of Darkness, and I think it would have been, like, a but ton of money to get the rights for it, um, so they can't reference it directly in the show, which is frustrating because you know it's still there. Like the idea is still there; he still has his, um, he still has his shotgun and everything. But we're not able to like talk about, oh yeah, that time that you literally traveled back in time, um, and you. Can, I, I think that's the only time he says groovy because like that's what I really remember about Army of Darkness, and it's like oh. Did he say groovy in Ash vs. Evil Dead? I don't remember. Um, he but did, I, He did? Oh, okay, good. Well, that makes me happy. <laughs> um, but, like, there's a lot of stuff in Army of Darkness that it feels like they're, like, just glossing over. And so I hope that it'll get sorted out before uh, Season 2 because it is renewed for Season 2 because um, I would like them to reference some of that stuff. And it also does have an effect on Ash's psyche, I think.
0: Yeah, I think, I, you know, Aside from the getting me a pedantic nerd here, like, he got his, like, fake hand in medieval times and with Eric the Red and Robert the Brewster, I forgot what their names are. But, um, uh, you know, I think that that's sort of like – Army of Darkness is much more comedic, but it also makes – like, Ash in Evil Dead is a – like, he's nuts at the end of the movie. He's nuts for most of the movie, and he's super-duper nuts at the end of the movie. But in Army of Darkness, he becomes a hero. Like, he's the reluctant hero. He goes through the, – the story is a lot of way more cartoony, especially when he, like, meets his evil clone selves, the tiny evil clone selves that just run him through this, like – Warner Brothers cartoon of violence, Um, but we also see him step up and become a hero and I think that's sort of the tension of the Ash character which we're going to kind of get into uh, you know, I'd, I'd say right, like, let's talk a little bit about it let's let's talk a little bit about it, Ash, like, what are your impressions of Ash as a character because, like, I get this, like, uh, you know in, in sort of talking to you in our book club and stuff my initial thought was that Ash wouldn't be the kind of character that you'd like, like, he's kind of bro He like, the first time we meet him in the film he's, um, you know, he's lying about what happened to his hand. Like, he's getting, he saves a child in a war or something like that. And uh, he uses it to... Well, use the elegant term, seduce a lady in a bar. Like, he's... You know, he's sort of like... You know, there's a lot of him that's just sort of this preening alpha schlub. Or fake alpha schlub. Like, what are your impressions of who Ash was?
1: Um, So, I really imprinted on the Evil Dead movies before I became an enlightened feminist. So, that's kind of my path towards it. Because, actually... Watching Ash versus Evil Dead and seeing him now not as, like, a young... Kind of like... Young Bruce Campbell was handsome. He was a dish. Come on. Um, <laughs> so, like, seeing that is more appealing than seeing, you know, 57-year-old Bruce Campbell trying to pull the same stunts that he does before. and And actually he's a lot more sleazy in Ash vs. Evil Dead than he is in the movies, except maybe Army of Darkness. Because at the very beginning, Ashley J. Williams, that poor kid, he's just trying to take his girlfriend and his sister and his friend and that other girl, like, just to have a fun spring break. And, like, everything goes to shit, and he's forced into this role. Um, and it clearly has an effect on him, because it, by the time we catch up with him in Ash vs. Evil Dead, he's, you know, still working at Value Mart, because we can't call it Smart. Um, He's still a stock boy. He's living in a trailer park, and his life is not good. And that's definitely of what he's gone through. And so that's, I think, just seeing that, seeing him as a hero and, like, seeing what it's done to him, that's kind of, I don't know, makes me feel bad for him, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think that's sort of, you know, you also brought something that I thought was really interesting, which is you talked about him as, as having a sense of arrested development. And... Um, you know, there's a lot about his life that's been defined by the Necronomicon. I found, I always found that it was really telling that he kept it. He didn't bury it. He didn't chuck it in the ocean. He didn't. Tr- I mean, tried to burn. It, he tried to destroy it. We get a sense that he did try to um, throw, get it away from him. But ultimately, he decided that he was going to be the sort of guardian over it. And, you know, I, I still – I've been stoned. I can't – so the whole – the 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 start of the show is he brings a girl back. She's into poetry, and so he's – and they're both stoned off their ass. So he says, yeah, I'll read the Necronomicon to you, which is sort of like – that did throw me a little bit because I thought it was a little bit of a cartoony choice, like a guy who's been discarded, damaged by the Necronomicon. Because, like, you know, we're talking a little bit about the, the tragedy of who Ash is as a person. And we see it over the course of the show. And some of it's that thing where, like – you know, it, it's this very kind of postmodern take on hero stories where, you know, there's this, like James Bond movies do it all the time, where characters are, like, talk to James Bond both as who he is as a person and they're commenting directly on his legend. And I think that the show does that a little bit too, where it's like, you know, the book, you know, the Necronomicon cell says that, you know, the book is the only thing that ever made Ash special, and he's sort of reacting to it. But at the same time, you know, he starts falling for uh, the police officer after him, Amanda Fisher, and she's swept up, taken away, and ultimately destroyed by this thing. And that's the thing is, like, he really does have a case of arrested development. Like, he is a hero. Like, a damaged, reluctant hero. But, like, this is a story about a guy whose uh, destiny has really screwed him over in a lot of ways because being the chosen one still means you got to schlep light bulbs for some asshole. You know what I mean?
1: That's sad. Yeah, it is sad. And especially when uh, in the episode where he meets the Brujo and he does the ayahuasca trip – and he sees what his life would have been like if he hadn't um, gone to that cabin and read from the book. You know, he would have had he would have had two hands, and he would have been living in Jacksonville, Florida, um, and he would still be happy, and he wouldn't be like the damaged person that he is. And I feel like I'm putting a lot more like into it. He's like, yeah, it's it's Ash, it's Ash from Evil Dead. He's damaged, but like it's in a funny way. Um, so it is it is sad to see this because you also think this is a fu- this is a comedy. But, like he has ptsd it's very clear that like he's really fucked up um and so over the 10 episodes in this season you also see how he develops as a character and so i sort of wonder like okay what went on in like the you know 30 years or whatever from when we last saw him to now and then what actually like made him start being a person again if it was just his relationship with pablo and kelly um, if it was having to uh, put on that mantle again, strap the chainsaw back to his hand, and like take up this fight against the deadites, like is that really what pushes him back into the hero status? Because up until then, he had been living in a trailer, as it is, like with a shitty life, and then he becomes a hero again.
0: God, you're right. And oh man, that that moment where he reattaches the chainsaw—it's such a hero moment. It's such a like in in all stories where the hero take like, especially a guy that we know or a girl that we know is super capable and like. Is, is bold and brave and competent in a way that, like, is inspiring rather than just sort of, like, clone, like corny and fake. Like, you're just waiting for them to re, to take back the sword, draw it again. And when he reconnects to that chainsaw, man, it is, like, choirs of angels overhead. But I think you said something, like, really interesting is that, like, the thing that starts – because, you know, anytime he has – like, when he has sex with the woman in the, uh, in the restaurant or the bar at the beginning of the film – or the beginning of the movie, the beginning of the show, um, he flashes back to like he has a flashback to the deadite that screws with his performance. Like he has to stop uh, mid a very funny coitus scene, and uh, you know, and, and part of it is that he reactivated the book, but part of it too is that like he's just aware of this, and you see that like he's been pursuing temporary gratification as opposed because he's never had peace, and anytime he stops like when he's done or when he's back home in his trailer or when he's alone, that, that reality just comes flooding in. Like, Ash isn't a guy I'd really want to be. But the thing that brings him back is um, he starts reconnecting with other human beings. He starts reconnecting. And I and I want to talk about them because I think that, like, what I, I, I wasn't sure about it at first. Like, a single character can't really carry a show with his wacky misadventures. But I think that Pablo and Kelly act as more than just sort of, like, wackadoo sidekicks. They act as... Um, As redemptors for Ash And sort of torchbearers in a lot of way So um, let's talk about Pablo first What are your thoughts on Pablo?
1: Oh, I like him so much. He's just adorable. Um, and part of it is just Ray Santiago is just a, like he's really cute as Pablo. And he's got he's got like a, a funny looking face, but in a good way. And so it's like fun to see him in this sort of comedic sidekick kind of role where he really looks up to Ash for some reason. And I, I still can't quite get why that is. Um, but it's it's endearing. It's cute. Uh, and to see him like really want to be a hero, too. And that's sort of. Like, he's sort of emulating Ash in a way, and I'm sure there are better people that he could be looking up to as a mentor. But he chooses Ash, and um, he joins the, as he dubs it, the Ghost Beaters, um, which is the, I just cracked up. I just cracked up at that. Um, but I don't know. It's it's fun. He he serves a really good role as a sidekick. You know, he has the knowledge with his uncle that's necessary um, to move the plot forward. Uh, at the very end, he does, like, the Jim Carrey mask thing with the, the Necronomicon on his face, and he's, like, puking up the demon babies. I don't know what those are. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, that was, that was great. That was, like, legitimately creepy and unsettling. Um, so having him as, like... This young kind of bumbling guy, that's really fun. I think he's a really great character.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, he reminded me in a lot of ways, like, why he'd look up to Ash. Like, you know, I worked a lot of, like, those sort of, like, like you know, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old jobs, and in all of them, you're surrounded by kids your own age and one old dude, and that one old dude is such a badass all the time, like, he's, he sounds like he's got things figured out, he's really cool, he'll, like, you know, he'll stand around the parking lot and get high with you, he'll drink your beer, he'll talk some shit, he's been to some concerts, he's gone to jail, he's, you know, gone to Europe, he's done some stuff, And then you start kind of put, and you know he's always like, "Yeah, fuck it, it's just a thing, whatever." And then you start realizing that guys like that sort of flatlined at some point, and they're just sort of like, you know, spinning their wheels in a lot of way. Like they just sort of like they're 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 there for a reason. And I think that, but when you're young, you don't really like see or assess that so much. You just sort of like, "Oh, this guy's super cool. He's like an old dude. He could be my surrogate father or whatever." But I think that you know he's got a couple things going. We're going to get to Kelly, but he obviously he's very into Kelly. And usually in that kind of way, like, that sort of, like... You know, in movies like Can't Hardly Wait, characters like that are super creepy and annoying or they're just sort of, like, needlessly pining. But I think that um, what makes him... What makes Pablo so interesting is that he is willing, I think, more so than Ash to self-sacrifice. Like, he he never tells Kelly directly that he cares for her. I think she has to, on some subconscious level, realize it. But, um, you know, he's the one that will throw himself in front of the demon. He's the one that will take the bullet for people. And not in that shitty, like, he expects something out of it way, because he loves and cares for the people around him. Like, I think that while Ash gets all the great lines and the fun, like, character moments and stuff like that, it's Pablo that he has to live up to. He has to live up to Pablo's, like, impression of who he is as a person. I think having someone hold you to that higher standard elevates you. Like, if we just, like, coast on in our dreams of, like, Need like aggressive mediocrity, we're never going to go anywhere. But if someone says, I see something in you and I believe in you and I think you could be this, uh, this, the el jefe, the savior, or whatever, uh, I think that, that that puts something that makes Ash change because he, you see him sometimes want to chicken out or back off on things, but he's pushed forward because he really cares about Pablo. And I think that's what makes Pablo so cool. Um, but yeah, it's so cute. But like, The other character that kind of tags along on this journey is this other Value Mart employee named Kelly, and Kelly starts out like like you. What's interesting thing about her is that she's she starts out in a lot of ways like. A lot of these people, like, a lot... Like, she reminds me most directly of every horror fan I've ever met at any convention. Kind of a metalhead, kind of like a dark person, you know, really tough soul of leather badass with, like, a great butt. And, you know, like, first first see her through Ash's perspective. And Ash's like, hey, I want to, you know, talk to you. And she completely blows him off at the register in the funniest way possible. Like, it's really... Funny to see how ineffective his quote unquote charms on her are on her, but um, she loses her family really dramatic. Like she, you know, she had her mother passed away in an auto accident, and then in like a classic horror movie idea, um, as the dead start right or as the deadites start taking over people around Ash, they uh, they take over uh, her dead mother's body, and he and she comes for her father, like Kelly's father, and that's a really horrific thing because like the deadites in the first few minutes wipe her out. And I think that sort of – like, Pablo is motivated by something higher – Kelly's motivated by revenge. What, what, what did you think about Kelly? What were your impressions of her?
1: Um, I wasn't sure at first. I wasn't sure at first that they would treat her right. I just always get really worried when they have a female character in a horror movie, especially one with the main character, someone like Ash. Um, but she actually turned out to be really cool uh, because she gets this. Um, they, they, I mean, they fritch her parents, basically. And so they, uh, yeah, they make it. They they give her the same impetus to go out and kill Deadites that Ash had in the very first movie, where, you know, all of his friends were murdered and then he had to like avenge their deaths and kill the Deadites. She has the same thing. So her parents are killed by Deadites and she goes out and she's like, I want to burn every deadite I see and uh, you mentioned the diner scene earlier where like she's taking out her rage on this one deadite with the the meat slicer and it's great that is a great scene um, and so she really comes into her own as like this horror movie hero um, and this real badass and uh, later on she you know gets a hold of like a submachine gun or something and just like rips one of the deadites to shreds and it's great um, and I think you can also you can really see like the parallels between Kelly and Ash, which he actually says in the first episode, he's like, "You remind me of a young me," but he actually does. Like she, she does. She has the same, um, the same character beats as him in a way.
0: Yeah, yeah, she doesn't cut her arm off, but I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happens. She's, uh, she is, she seems very much that like. More Pablo is not as competent a fighter. He's not as reactive. He's not as like quick on his feet as Kelly is. Kelly, the second something goes wrong, she throws herself in with gusto, and she's a really capable. Like I think at one point it's mentioned that she's like a, a karate person or something like that. Um, but she really like she goes for it in a pretty pretty intense broad way. And yeah, I kind of thought that like they were going to set her up to have that same kind of like like you kind of wonder where they're going to go because like it's really easy in these stories to have a lot of TNA. And that's the interesting thing about this 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 show. Is that um, there's a lot of like really attractive characters, men and women, a lot of good-looking women. Ash is kind of a ladies' man in his own weird, tawdry way. But there's not a lot of like overt fan service. TNA. We see a lot of like we see characters through his eyes. Like when we first see Kelly, he's like checking out her body, and she's you're know, beautiful. But then we see her as a person. We see Detective Fisher as a person. We see them in that. We see Ruby. As a person, like their, their their characterization, they're they're all beautiful, and the ca- you know, and it being the kind of like like you know like body kind of show, the camera appreciates it, but not in a way that I feel dehumanizes them. Do you feel that's accurate or fair?
1: Uh yeah, that wasn't something that you know really hit me in any way. Like I didn't feel like it was sleazy, even though Ash is sleazy. Like they call him out on it. They say, okay, like don't don't be gross. Um, and you're like you laugh at him. You're like, oh, it's just like my racist uncle, my sexist (laughs) dad, or whatever. Uh, so you just sort of like let him get away with it. But the show itself treats them with respect. Um, and it does give them their own narratives, and it give it you know, creates characters for them that. I hope will be expanded in season two, except for, uh, poor, poor Amanda. (laughs) Although she really went out with a bang. So that was, that was cool. Um, but yeah, I think it actually treats the female characters pretty well, which I was surprised by. I, I honestly was, and I'm, I'm happy by it. I'm, I'm pleased.
0: Yeah, I am too. I think that, you know, you know, horror is such a visceral genre. It's such a like impassioned genre. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff on the body. And a lot of it is done kind of grossly, but, and, and, you know, and a lot of people are drawn to horror because it is. It is sex and violence mixed in the violence is titillating and like there's a lot of bodies on display and like, you know, there's a lot of like sexuality to it because it's that same like fear, humor, carnality, it all blends in. But it all like I think it's handled really intelligently and really respectfully in Ash of the Evil Dead. And that's one of those things that because like I'm so tired of like liking stuff, but then having to recommend it with provisos like like liking something like Lovecraft's like, oh, you know, this is really enjoyable. But he's also a racist dick in a lot of things. Or like, you know, some of these like some of the more screw your end of the slasher genre it's like, no, no, no. I mean, it looks really like misogynistic, but it's actually like there's good stuff in it too. Like, I'm so tired of doing provisos to things. And Astro Evil Dead, like I think it's really, you know, you have a lot of you have characters of a lot of different races, a lot of different identities, a lot of different like, you know, body types and expressions and things like that. And it's just it works. It's fun. It's all like really kind of kind of cool. And the other thing that like, so, you know, in getting out of that kind of area of conversation which, believe me, I could talk about forever. Um, I also want to talk about another thing that really interested me about um, Ash vs. the Evil Dead is how blue-collar it is. Like... Um, these characters work in a value mart, they live in trailers, they drive cars that are 200 fucking years old like they eat in diners and they argue about who's gonna pay and Ash is constantly conning them into paying, like you get a sense that they're always like right at the, verse, at, at the verge of this whole thing cracking down they meet characters that are just sort of like, you know, the kind of the, the people you see driving through, I wanna say Vermont, like wherever the show's located at but like, you know, small town, blue collar Vermont, and the way that they fight things they don't, you know, it's like, well, it's fortunate. That I studied Latin at Oxford during my tenure there It's like, I got a book I'm, pro- I'm pronouncing it phonetically You know, there's some guy who did study Latin Who got eaten later, but I'm just reading his notes and when I have to fight things, I don't use the Wand of Kerouac or whatever that I learned in my travels in the Orient or whatever dumb shit. Like, I just go fucking – I hit him with a chainsaw and a shotgun, like the most blue-collar – like, one's a tool of sort of blue-collar work and the other is, like, just the classic American icon weapon. You know, they drive around in this beat-up old piece of American – like, like Detroit American history. They talk in that sort of, like, direct, unsentimental way to each other. Like, there's this – there's a like – there's a lot of the show that feels like it could be your life because these characters are struggling with shit that you struggle with. Like, they are they don't have – like, a lot of their basic needs are not given, so they have to think about this kind of thing. Like, what did you think about that? Like, what was your take on the sort of blue-collariness of the show?
1: Uh, I really liked it. It didn't, like, jump out at me uh, as much. Um, but I wonder if that's because in a lot of horror movies uh, – they the people that survive, like they're not they're not the academic. The academic goes out first. Come on. Like they can't run. Let's be clear. Um and if you think about Evil Dead, it was Professor Nobi that started off this whole bullshit by, you know, talking about the Necronomicon into the tape recorder that then played and released the, the deadites into the world. So he's actually sort of cleaning up this guy's mess. Um and so the fact that they're like living so close to the bone and um surviving because they have to. Like, I think you, in a way, they're sort of, like, used to it. Like, Ash, definitely. Um, he's, he doesn't have any savings. He, he works to live. Uh, he lives paycheck to paycheck. And so this is sort of the same thing where, like, okay, I have to, you know, work a day to afford my trailer park. That's fine. I have to, like, kill these deadites so I can keep living for one more day. That's just par for the course for me. Uh, so that's sort of the thing of it is, like, this is just another level of survival for them, in a way, yeah. I guess.
0: Yeah, and I also thought, like, it's weird, but it's one of those things that I noticed where it's, like, nobody's slovenly in it. Like, you, you get a sense that uh, Kelly's the most kind of well-off because the family home that she has and the technology that she has is pretty, like, good. So, like, she probably came for money. Pablo and uh, his uncle, the Brujo, um, you know, they're a little more blue-collar. Like, the Brujo is sort of a guy that, like, gets stoned a lot but knows magic and shit like that and has, that like, that cool, weird, like, home at the edge of the woods. But, like... There's not a lot of like, oh, these poor schmuck, like these like cash poor schmucks, because even actually, this is a weird thing to notice. His trailer was fairly clean and orderly. Like he he didn't have a lot, but he kept uh, he kept himself up, and he kept himself well. You know, and that's one of those like little weird details that I kind of noticed about the character.
1: And he had an iguana, Eli, which like. It disappeared later, but that was fine because you would assume he survived.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's yeah, going to be an internet meme someday when somebody points that out. Um, but I think the other thing too is this sort of mentality to sort of like just get in on it is perfect for dealing uh, with the deadites because the deadites are not a subtle menace. Like, they, you know, I generally am kind of leery of, you know, especially, like, I, I believe that all satanic forces rip off of the exorcist you know they're like they're like snotty superior demons that like cuss at you and say like i bet you like it in the butt or whatever like oh it's so shocking and taboo wow it's not like i live in San i grew up in san francisco but like you know they're this sort of like oh i'm gonna be snide and like Clever about what I perceive your weaknesses to be. I think the Deadites take that like like Supernatural was terrible about that in that show where all demons have the exact same personality. But uh, the Deadites and evil dead, they take that that Linda Blair exorcist, your mother sucks cocks in hell, and turn it up to like five thousand. They're ca- like they look like the demonic in, like the demonic reinterpretation of uh, the Three Stooges, right? Like like they're like, they're weird cartoon faces, like they're Tex Aver extended faces, and they're, like, mad witch cackling, and they're, like, you know, they, they, they don't just kill you. They chuck you a ceiling fans, or they, like, they're morons.
1: The Deadites are great. I love them- they're like really fun villains and they're fun villains that like, they're so hard to put down. Like you really have to, you know, chop them up into tiny little bits with your chainsaw hand. Um, and so, and all, every step of the way they are quipping. Um, Cause you know, the classic lines are like, you'll be dead upon dawn and I'll swallow your soul and things like that. But actually um, you reminded me of, and I think the penultimate episode or something like that, Ash goes into the, not the cellar, like the woodshed or something in the cabin and he finds the head of his dead girlfriend still in the vice where he had put her before and she gets some great lines that I'm sure they only get away with because they're on stars, because the original movies did not get as filthy as this it's just her head in the vice and she's like um i give good head and you can skull fuck me good and i'm like that is hilarious and that's exactly what they say and it's so funny and it's so over the top and so you kind of root for them you're like i want you to stick around as long as possible because you're hilarious and like you're saying all these really fun things and it's also giving the other characters the opportunity to quip along with them and to really make it like this back and forth this fun banter as they're getting like shredded by a chainsaw that's fun and you want it to be fun
0: yeah and i think that's sort of like why they make perfect counterpoints to to ash and his uh ghost bust ghost bank
1: ghost ghost beaters ghost
0: beaters there i was gonna say ghost bangers that came out wrong um And I but then there's an interesting counterpoint like most all of the show, like every good show or every good narrative needs that like that uh, X factor, you know, and this shows X factor is Lucy Lawless as Ruby. Now, we don't know who Ruby is, except that um, she sort of tags along with Amanda Fisher on her quest to bring Ash to justice. And we just know that we know pretty early on that she there's something weird about her. Like, she's super dupe, like, she's supernatural. She shrugs off shit that nobody else can. She punches her way out of, like, you know, she punches away with, like, tremendous strength. But she seems to be on the side of the angels. She's trying to track down Ash. It sounds like she's the last of the Nobi family that's trying to, like, get out of the. Uh, or that that let or unleash the curse in the first place. And it turns out, dun, dun dun dun, she actually wrote the Necronomicon. She's been around for hundreds of years. And her whole goal is to create a sort of like to put herself to instill herself as the Pope of Hell, but sort of create this like Dentante. Right? What now we were talking about this beforehand. I was talking about how much I love Lucy Lawless and all her wonderful Aussie ways. Um and I really like this kid like. Lucy Lawless does a really good villain because, like, it, it's the same with Battlestar Galactica when she played one of the numbers in there. I forget which one. You can never quite fully commit to her being the bad guy. There's something about her that, like, a good villain isn't just, like, some guy in, like, a Ming the Merciless outfit cackling in his, like, evil skull face space citadel. A good villain is somebody who truly believes in what they're doing, thinks they're doing the right thing and uh, just happens to create a lot of chaos and devastation in their wake. And I think that's what Ruby does in her in her way. Like, I never got the sense she was lying to Ash. What did you think?
1: I definitely don't think she was lying to Ash, at least in her head. She de- she wanted the book for her own purposes. She wanted to take over something that she was like, oh, okay, it's, they're just going to be a menace. I need to take care of this. I need to get them back under my control and, you know, do what I want with them. I, I think that I can take my deadites and... Not do good, but do evil in a better way than it was being done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, as far as we know, you know, does good by Ash with that deal. She saves Paulo and Kelly and sends them on their way to Jacksonville. Uh, you, you see craters opening up in the road behind them. But as far as Ash knows, he got the better end of that deal. So you think that, okay, you know, maybe... She's doing the right thing, or at least not the very wrongest thing. And so it's fun. And I wonder if in the next season she's going to be the big bad or if it's going to be something else and she's overwhelmed by this because I definitely want more of her character, and I want to know more about her because she does have the Candarian dagger. Um, I think that was in Evil Dead 2. I think Annie had it. Um, so you think, oh, maybe she's a nobie. Clearly not, um, but she has some ties to that family, and so I want to know more about her, and I, I wonder uh, if we're going to get that, because as awesome as she was, I thought her character was a little underwritten, so I want to know more.
0: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, she's she's that, like, like I said, she's that weird kind of villain, because at, up until that point, the villain is just sort of a, a, like a storm. Like, Ash is fighting deadites, and deadites aren't exactly like... We don't really get a sense of what these characters are. They all have kind of the same personality. They possess bodies. The bodies have to be hacked apart. So you go and you get scenes like the diner massacre, where like a bunch of these guys just take over people in the in the diner and just start beating the shit out of Ash and trying to take them down. Um, but they're also like they're pretty bad at actually killing heroes. Like they they'll get the, they'll possess randos and they'll like you know do a lot of damage to say children on a fan but they won't actually get the core guys and they're they're you know you get a chainsaw get a food slicer on them and they're and they're pretty pretty much done with ruby gives them a sense of structure and menace gives them an actual big bad and it gives them a a, an angle that they can kind of can kind of uh work with like now the villain side has an agenda and the whole thing the whole season comes to a head and i feel like like you know, there's there's always this danger of doing too much fan service in anything, because too much fan service excludes new people. You get a sense the show's only made for insiders. Like most of us, I think, you know, whenever anyone says, Oh, you gotta binge watch yourself, it's more than a season in, most of us balk because there's a lot of investment to be made at that point. But I think that the show's choice to go back to the cabin isn't just I mean, it's obviously super fan servicey and a lot of stuff happens in the cabin that reeks of fan service. Like they bring in three poor campers, like three, be- like three beautiful young actors, gorgeous young people to be massacred in the manner of an evil dead story. Um, again, I'll never get over like Fisher's, cor- like Fisher's deadite self animating the-, the two corpses like a puppet um, and using them as bullet shields. It's just ridiculous visual comedy. But um, there's something about like Ash never left the cabin in a lot of ways. There's a lot of who Ash is. Like he goes in there and he sees the down like the torn down head of the of the deer with the antlers that was speaking to him earlier, the mirrors, you know, he goes back to see his girlfriend's head and the vice. Um, there's a lot of him still there and that's where his character has to make really key points. Also, here's a fun little thing. If you once he starts going into the basement, which a lot of the big stuff, yeah, a lot of the big stuff happens in the story, uh Freddy Krueger's claw is hanging there. And that's just a fun dumb reference to another major 80s franchise, but I just uh, I'm a Freddy Krueger nut. I adored that, so. Uh you, go ahead.
1: Oh, that's actually um I th- Think Wes Craven and Sam Raimi had a thing in their movies where they would like try to put a prop from each other's um, franchises in their movie, which is really fun that they continued doing that. So that's that's a fun little tidbit, and I'm glad you picked I up know, on I that. Um, but yeah, The Cabin. The Cabin is really, uh, when you think of Evil Dead, The Cabin is another character. The Cabin is where it all started, um, and it it really chewed Ash up and spit him out. And the fact that he comes back, uh, and he bring he, he tries to leave people behind. He tries to leave um, Pablo and Kelly and Amanda behind and he wants to face it on his own because he doesn't want them to get hurt and he knows that if they come to the cabin they'll get hurt and he's not wrong. Amanda is a victim of the cabin um, just like his friends were all those years ago and you... I think when Ash comes back to the cabin it really affects him because he's still getting off his quips and he's still, you know, he's still that hero but it really shakes him to the core, I think. And I think being in the cabin and seeing what it does to Amanda and those beautiful Australian hikers, um, <laughs> especially uh, Samara Weaving, who is uh, the the blonde girl at the end, who literally is like chewed to pieces by the cabin in such an amazing fashion. Um, I think seeing all of that probably pushes Ash to make the decision that he does at the end. Uh, he's live through this nightmare you know for another time so being there and like living through what has shaped him as a person um you know it's really fun as fans to see and it's also really sad to see him have to deal with this shit again but it's also great because he fights himself yet again yet again he sees like an evil version of himself and like tears it to pieces it's great
0: yeah, it's interesting that Ash is constantly coming up, with, constantly going up against evil versions of himself. Like he is, you know. If I wanted to get all like film schoolish, he's a man at constant war with himself. And I think that's sort of what ties. Oh, like putting a tan, quick tangent. I really thought that the third hiker was gonna live. Like there was something about it. Like I just sort of thought that like she's the one who's coming into the narrative late. She could be like, like you get a sense of like, oh fuck, my two friends are dead. I have a compound fracture. I've seen shit that I that will turn your hair white, man. Like. I I really thought that she was going to go farther, but, you know, she also had kind of doomed written all over her. Um, But, you know, I hoped. She had had a kind of, like, bumbling charisma that I dug. But um, so I think that, like... Ash is, like, when I was watching some of the director's commentary, like, the, the producer commentary after one episode, they point out that Ash is a guy who constantly makes the wrong decision in the short term that has big consequences in the long term. And we mostly see that in Army of Darkness, where he fucks up the Klaatu Barada Necto thing, and he's like, well, I didn't, I didn't say every little syllable exactly, no, like... Uh, Yeah, I made a deal with Ruby, because, like, that's the thing. Ruby seems like she's living up to her word, that she really doesn't want Ash in the way, doesn't really care about harming him one way or the other. Her business isn't with, like, some guy who's fighting off some stuff. And, uh, you know, the deal, he, like, because he's Big fear at that point, you're right. Like, that's when we see how far he's come. He does not want Pablo and Kelly to get hurt. They're going to go inside anyway because they're, you know, loyal in a deep and meaningful way, especially, like, Pablo... Almost dies. He comes very close to dying. They carve some of his skin off, don't they?
1: He asks Ash to kill him when he's possessed. He's like, Ash, please kill me because I don't want to hurt Kelly. So you mentioned earlier Pablo's sense of like, self-sacrifice, and that's where it comes out, and Ash is not willing to do that. He's not willing to let Kelly die or kill Pablo. He wants to save him. He wants to save them both. He's no longer an alone wolf, which also was, like, one of my favorite jokes. Yeah, and
0: it's um – um. And in that point, you kind of maybe the hero would have killed Pablo, let Kelly die to, end it once and for all, but then he'd have been alone again. And I think there's only so much that guy's soul can take because his Jacksonville dream, it's so, you know, there's this Calvin and Hobbes thing that I love. I'm, yeah, I'm doing this. Um, there's this one, like, I, I love Calvin and Hobbes. I think it's got better moral instruction than any other piece of work in anything. And there's one where uh, Calvin and Hobbes are walking and they say, you know, Cal or, uh, Calvin asks Hobbes, if you could have one wish, what would it be? And Hobbs thinks for a second and goes, a sandwich. And Calvin goes on a tire. You'd have a sandwich. You would have wealth, power, fame, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And then the final panel is Hobbes making and eating a sandwich, and he says, I got my wish. And Calvin, like, stubbornly refusing to learn a lesson. The thing that kind of struck me about, like, Ash's Jacksonville dream is that it's so humble Like, it's just a dude who wants to live somewhere beautiful and have peace. Like, he doesn't want to be rich. He doesn't want to do shit, really. And after a lifetime of, like, stacking bulbs for assholes, I can't really blame him. But, like, just to live peacefully in in a place where nobody's trying to, like, eat him or swallow his soul or, like, you know, chainsaw off his hand or whatever. Like, that's such a sweet and kind of sad dream. And you get, you know... The deal is he can get that dream, and some deadite shit's going to happen, but it's going to be controlled deadite shit under the helm of someone who doesn't really want to fuck with humanity all that much, who just wants to run the demon world. And when it's a choice between that and fighting and making the last stand and losing your friends, I almost don't blame him for taking it.
1: It's interesting as well, because Ash is giving up this book Truby. this book that's really created who he is and shaped so much of his life. And he's giving it to her and saying, this is your problem now. I'm not dealing with that anymore. Um, Deadites are your deal. I'm going to Jacksonville. I'm going fishing. Uh, and so the fact that he that that's part of it, that like giving up the book is sort of like emblematic of him saying, no, I'm not the hero anymore, which is maybe reading a lot more into it than I should be, but you know... I think he's done with it. He's, all, he's pushing 60. I think he's really done, you know, killing deadites.
0: Yeah, and I don't really blame him. Because, like, a lot of hay is made in the show of how old he's gotten. Like, they, they poke a lot of, like, good natured jabs at it. But the fact is, is that this is, in a lot of ways, a show about mortality or there's a lot of elements of mortality in the show. And some of it's comedic. He's a comedic actor and we're play- and we see him like squeeze into his um uh his uh, what girdle. do you call it? girdle, thank you. And um and sort of he's like getting too old for everything. He's the old guy at the club, he's the this, he's the that. And the thing is he's he's like it what happened to him wasn't just a couple of cabin like a couple of days in a cabin when he was 20. It's defined his life for 30 fucking years both as a actor and as a character in the show. And I think that um, ultimately, like, he's he, – there's, like – it's it's a tears of a clown kind of situation. The clown part is obviously the most important part. But you do get a sense of the pathos to Ash. Like, he's not – he's heroic. He's got a lot of admirable traits. He's quick with a quip. He always has the right thing to say. Like, one of the most quotable movies of all time in the Evil Dead movies – or are the Evil Dead movies. But um, – you know, there, there's there's a sadness to it, And I think that, like, like uh, I guess the final question before we start kind of wrapping it all up, um, how do you feel about... Because, like, the Evil Dead movies work because they're they're self-contained. Like, the uh, the problem with a lot of people who ape the Evil Dead formulas, is they, they write shitty quips and whatever, and it doesn't really hold off in the end. Um, how do you feel about this being done as a serialized narrative, as a longer-form story?
1: That's another thing I was worried about when they said they were going to do Ash versus Evil Dead as a TV show. Part of me was excited, because... Uh, TV gives you more room to do these stories and build these characters, uh, which I think Ash vs. Evil Dead does really well. But the other thing is having a plot that can be sustained over, in this case, 10 episodes, which is really good length, at half an hour for each episode. um, But you need to have something that they're going to. You can't just waste Deadites for an hour and a half like you do in the Evil Dead movies. Uh, You need to have something you're working towards. You have the Dana Ma and all this stuff. And I think Ash vs. Evil it actually, um, they got, they they did it pretty well. At first I thought, I was like, okay, they are just going to like have a big fight scene every episode, and that's it, that's the, that's the catch, that's the gimmick in this series. Um, but they built up to something, and in the first season was great, because they built up to going back to the cabin. Um, and so I think if they can do that again in season two, it'll continue to be a really great show. Uh, and that made me... This show made me wonder. It's like, okay, um, deadites are, they're demons, but they're also similar to zombies in that they keep coming, and is there ever really an end to them? And you see here, it's like, okay, so talking with Ruby, like, there is possibly an end to the deadite siege. So other shows, like The Walking Dead or something, where it is literally a siege of zombies, it's hard to sustain that for as long as they have. And I don't watch Walking Dead, but like in my head, I'm like, how have they done this for so many seasons and like kept it interesting? And so that's something horror where it just keeps going. There's not a definite end. Um, I find that really interesting in like a television medium.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I do actually recommend The Walking Dead, warts and all. It's not perfect show, but like I do think it's like sustainable because the characters are so great. And I think that's what makes Asher's The Evil Dead work. First off, Um, you know, I think of the mistake a lot of shows like this did in the past, especially stuff like Check the Night Stalker, which is like the predecessor of the X-Files, the X-Files too, is that, um, they do Monster of the Week type things, where it's like, well, we're on the road, let's figure out what the problem is and solve it, but everything in the show is leading to the cabin, everything, it's like, it really is sort of a 10-hour movie, or a 13-hour movie, or however many episodes there were, um, and I think that that kind of strong narrative thro- th- like flow through lets you grow and develop with these characters, watch as their struggles kind of go on, and it makes... It, I think in this way, like, a longer-form story is the only way to really do Ash uh, Ash Williams' character correctly. You need to see where he's going. And I ultimately hope, like... I guess I want one of two things. Uh, the, the Deadites need to be banished forever because, like, they can't, like... Walking Dead-type worlds, like, sooner or later, the problem with those, like... The, the zombie story has one end. You die. You keep going until you die. The Deadites have to be resolved. And uh, I could see Ash. You know, it actually, like, while you were talking, something really struck me is that Sam Raimi does a lot of stuff about the inevitability of hell. The Deadites don't really come from, like, a classic, like, Dante Dante's Inferno kind of hell. There's something, like, weird and intense and insane about them. But they're all, like, sort of witch crazy in that sort of, like, cackling, like, cackling witch kind of a way. Um, but Drag Me to Hell was another movie of his, and it's about another relentless spirit trying to drag somebody into hell, where we get a sense it's really, really terrible there, and it drags his poor innocent soul down. And I think that sort of like that run through of his movies is really, really interesting. I'm trying to, I'm trying to tie Spider Man into it too, but it's not working. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm interested to see what, what they do with it next. I want to see where Ash goes. I want it to have a definitive end. I don't want it to go on forever. I do want uh, either it to be resolved and he gets, like, glorious self-sacrifice is fine and all. I really want him to wind up in Jacksonville with no worries at all. That's all I want. That's what I want for him.
1: See, you were saying that, and I was like, "Oh, what if he learns his lesson? He ends up, he does end up, like, you know, sacrificing himself, which he has not been willing to do at any point. He has wanted to live, and in one of the episodes, it was like, I think it was when it was with his twin, he was like, oh, no, I, I, wanted, I want to live. Let me live. Yeah. Um, but when you said that about going to Jacksonville it's like yeah I think he's deserved that I think it doesn't need to be you know a really sad ending where he sacrifices himself um I think he does deserve a happy ending poor Ashley
0: Poor Ashley. On the other hand, though, now that I think about it and like when I was listening to you speak, I realized he is a selfish character fundamentally. He's all like, Especially, he was a normal guy at the very beginning of Evil Dead 2, but as he's gone on, he's become a, like one of his defining characteristics, that he is selfish. And for him to go from selfish-ish to selfless to self-sacrifice I think is, and it's a valid character arc. That said, He's somebody I want to see have peace and not the peace of the grave, but the peace of like a brewski on a beach. Like that's a good peace for him. Anyway, um, this is the part of the show. We're going to kind of wind it up. Um, I, w- I always like talking about recommendations because I always feel like everything has a history around it. Everything has like things that are kind of similar to it and everything has stuff that um, you-, you know, like if you like X, you'll like Y. Like, you know, those Amazon recommendations that are less like creepy, invasive and also kind of off-puttingly wrong. Um You know, like I said earlier, I think that Evil Dead really inspired an entire generation of, like, scrappy young film guys uh, and girls uh, to make these, like, gonzo-ass movies um, just on the sheer, I can fucking do it. I can get my friends together. We can rent a cabin. We can come for everything in blood. People will pay to watch it because it's insane and it's fun. Um, You know, the the obvious ones, I think, are stuff like – Dead Snow, which is always on Netflix, and it's you know, it's it's actually a really fun zombie romp that I think you know, aside from it, it apes the overt gore and the kind of comedy of um of the Evil Dead films, albeit somewhat less taste like like some of the jokes are a little like douchey. But it also I think it says something really interesting about the legacy of Nazism in Europe. That like like Nazis weren't something that you went over to fight, but it was in your backyard, it was in your house, and so the, the specter of them rising again and like the zombies in that film aren't Brainless, they're a military unit with very good discipline and leadership, and that the fact they're also cannibal monsters, demons from hell, is really interesting. So, uh, I recommend Dead. I recommend Dead Snow. If you want to go to like the insane, comical, weird avant-garde shit, like uh, go to Tokyo Gore Police, which is a uh, it's a just this. <laughs> it's a movie that uh, definitely has the spirit. Like nobody does gushing blood better than Japan. Like they really get that spray artery shit out there. Then then you amp it up by ten. Everyone's got a chainsaw arm. Everyone's saw, it's like it's so evil dead. Um, you know, there's it's also kind of trigger warning of plenty for that. You know, milieu. But it's really really good. Um, my personal favorite pastiche, and I think if you like uh, the two that I really recommend uh, most heavily are uh, for kind of Evil Dead straight fans. I really loved the Evil Dead remake, and I think it really surprised a lot of people. A lot of people sort of treat Evil Dead as the sacred cow, and in a lot of ways it is. But um, I think that they, when they did the remake, they took, you know, they strip-minded a lot of the humor. Like, it's, it's funny in a sort of audacious way, but it's also, like, the things that these, like... Cutting off your hand can be played for laughs, but cutting off your hand can also be the most traumatic and horrifying thing ever. So it is a horror movie that really leans in on the gore, but not in a way that feels like Saw-ish. And um, it has, like, the lead character, the Ash character, uh, it's a woman. It's a woman that everyone else has given up on because she's, like, a a recovering drug or she's trying to kick heroin. And um, her brother's the only one that believes in her. Her friends, including the one medical professional there, they kind of think that this is like, we're going to try this, but in all likelihood she's going to wind up dead someday. And she sort of fights her way into, you can't tell if it's like she's, redeemed herself or if she's really destroyed herself this time because what happens to her is pretty intense but she also has to fight a demon version of herself that's very easily seen as sort of a metaphor for her addiction or struggles in her relationship with her deceased parents and shit like that so it's really good like take take the evil dead seriously and make something like weighty of it and it's it's good there's also an idiot that reads a book out loud out of nowhere um and finally deathgasm which just came out of australia and it's about it's about heavy metal fans in an Evil Dead world because the kids, uh, they find uh, – instead of a creepy old book, they find a record by a – what they thought was a long-deceased metal guy. They're all – they feel like real heavy metal fans, like actual, like just itchy and angry and sort of stuck in a shitty small town in shitty circumstances. And um, they kick something open, and it's a mix of that kind of crazy-ass gore. And like if you made an Evil Dead film starring typical Evil Dead fans – This would be it, and I love it, and I can't recommend it highly enough. What do you think? What are your picks for, like, if you like this, you'll like this?
1: Um, so we had discussed earlier another good TV show uh, is Supernatural, and we talked about it a little bit uh, in the show. Supernatural, you, I'm sure most of you have heard of it and even watched it. Up until season five, it's a great show. After Dang. that, your mileage may vary. Um, it's really uneven. But I if,
0: stopped at five. I recommend everyone else do so, but it's great up until then.
1: I went up to season ten, and I wish I had stopped at five. Um, but up until season five, it's a good show. Um, very Americana, these two guys driving around uh, like – you know killing demons and other monsters it's it's really fun and i think the writing is uh it can be really witty and cool um and obviously uh joss whedon cabin in the woods so fun it's both the pastiche and an homage to the evil dead movies and other horror movies of the time but if you watch it especially after rewatching evil dead um, you'll see so many parallels and things lifted directly from the movies uh it's just delightful. Um, and something else, if you are into practical effects, there's a movie available on Netflix called um, Harbinger Down. And it takes place on this boat in the Arctic somewhere. And there's some researchers um, on like a whaling boat or a fishing boat. And they pull up a piece of ice. And in this ice is a virus or something that starts infecting all of the crew. And when it infects the crew, um, like this big stalk grows out of the person and like. Blood and gore and guts and pus are splattered everywhere. And all of the effects are practical effects, um, which is something that the filmmakers were, they wanted to do. They wanted to do a movie, um, I think like The Thing, it, it's very evocative of The Thing, where all the effects are practical. And um, the writing is fun. It's a little cheesy. But if you are into practical effects, this is a great movie. It's really fun, uh, just classic, creepy, gory stuff.
0: Yeah, and um, this is like, come on, it's Ash vs. Evil Dead, it's Evil Dead, it's a cottage industry, this is like, it, it's just, uh, I don't trust people that don't like the Evil Dead movies, because there's like, you gotta, at some point, like yeah, cinema can be, you know, the King's Speech and Remains of the Day, and, and like, Citizen Kane and all these beautiful things, but you have to have a sort of like, like, Evil Dead is punk rock. Like it's it's an assault like it's just an assault on sensibilities. It's a fun film and this the this show really captured the legacy of that and I can't I can't recommend it highly enough. I really enjoyed it. So um We're gonna close out on that, and I wanted to thank you once again, Becky, for being a wonderful co-host and being equally as enthusiastic about this. I've had a I've had a really good conversation.
1: Thanks so much for having me on. Because if there's one thing I like talking about, it's TV and and fun TV that really harks back to something that I loved in my childhood, and that has come back in a really fun way.
0: Amen. We're like, you know, you can mine our childhoods for superheroes and Star Wars and all that stuff, and that's cool. But you also got to mine our like our preteen gory, gushy, extreme raw, piss off your parents kind of a thing. So, um, anyway, thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, we hope to hear from you again. Bye!
1: Creature Cast. A darkly tinted look the magical, the mysterious, and the macabre.